I think most important is the story you can craft of your career. What's the reason why you're going from A to B and what's the rationale behind it? So when I, when I talk about people in my career, you know, as an example, people say, why would you leave Google to go to AOL? You're going to, from the top tech company to go someplace that's dying. And the, the reason why I say I left, which is true, is I left because of Tim Armstrong. He was the president of Google who left to go be the CEO there. And I'm a big believer in following the right people. And so he's a very, very strong leader. I knew if I followed him over to AOL, the company would do well. And for my own career, but going to a, to a company that's failing and try to do a turnaround, that's I said, this is a great way for me to learn. And so going there with a new leader, trying to turn it around, and this is turning around everything from the culture to the products to the sales. I figured there's no better opportunity in my career to learn, like, what is it like to actually do a true turnaround? And that's why I went there. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. And this is one to share with your friends. We've got Andrew Reed, who was the 350th person hired at Google. Number 350. He's been through a bunch of tech startups with big payouts. He's currently the global head of partner products for Vonage. He's got some advice on how to navigate the tech world, picking the right company, how to do that, picking the right manager, why to do that and sliding into the right role, when to do that. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Andrew Reed, it's been a long time since I slept on your couch while we were starting our first business. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Awesome, thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Well, I appreciate you taking time away from Google. And just so, just before we even get to what your definition of excellence is, if you want to go into tech and you want to go into business, how about being the 350th employee at Google? That's what Andrew was. How about working at AOL and spinning through Time Warner and Verizon? How about working now as the global head of partner products for Vonage, the company that sends all the text to you from Uber? It's part of the, it's software for telecom. How would you like to go through? Let me see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different jobs. And every time get a boatload of cash because you were so instrumental. Well, that's what Andrew's done. And we're going to talk about how, but before we do, Andrew, we got to go and figure out what is your definition of excellence? Is it going to UCSB or is it more than that? <laughs> well, UCSB was a good start for sure. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed my time there. But um, you know, I would say you know ch it changes as you age, and you know, I'd say now that I, you know I've spent twenty plus years in the in the tech industry, my career for me it's more about having a more holistic view of excellence, not just about your career. It's about you know having a happy life, building strong relationships with others, and having a sense of purpose and meaning in your life. And, you know, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I really love what I do and who I am, then I think you've reached it. 
Okay, love what I do and who I am. And you can't be excellent at something if you don't love what you're doing. And you probably can't be excellent if you don't love who I am. And our last guest talked a lot about figuring out why you're here on the planet, where you're headed. Yeah, You've got to figure that out, what you stand for. And, and there's people out there that maybe have made as much money as Andrew, or maybe they've even made more, but probably not that many that made more, but they don't love who they are. Well, that's not excellence. Yeah, that's not happiness. That's just getting through. Yeah, I've seen that. I mean, obviously, now it's probably harder for the younger generation now with Instagram and you're seeing all these people living these lives, but a lot of times they're not happy. And I, I remember my early days at Google, people that did really well and started retiring in their you know, early 30s, late 20s. And they weren't necessarily happy. A lot of relationships weren't, you know, they, they couldn't keep good relationships with others. And so they had money, but it wasn't, I would say, a happier, fulfilling life. Yeah, at one of for a season of this podcast, by the way, I tried to dispel the myth of retiring at 35. You may not know this, but the Gen Z generation, there's a, a big contingency that is working to retire by 35. So I've had a few guests on yeah. that, you know, sold their companies or whatever. And you always go do something else. You can't retire when you're 35 because that's not aligned with who you are. That's not aligned with your values. Yeah. If you're listening to the show, you want to keep going. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think, you know, even with the success that I've had, I didn't want to retire, right? Like, I need the mental stimulation. And you know, part of it, too, is as you move up and you, you're managing teams, you get a lot of satisfaction by seeing people on your team grow and do well in their own careers. So let's let's go through your career and then come back to how how you get there. So you go to one of the greatest schools in America. It's only ranked number 32. 32 is pretty high, but Really, it's in the top 10 schools in America. UC Santa Barbara uh, on the peninsula, surrounded by ocean where, I mean, you and I weren't even the most beautiful people there, hard to believe. Just <laughs> people even more, even more beautiful than us. Yeah. Uh, people striving to help the environment and help the world. So you're at UCSB where we met and you worked at CollegeWorks, which we'll get into for a second. Then you go into commercial real estate sales at Grubb and Ellis. And then you decided, hey, and, and this happens a lot. People start off with their career and it's not the right career. Why did you decide to go from real estate to dot-com startups? Yeah, it was interesting. After, after college, I, I knew I, I enjoyed sales. So I, did, I did college works for three years. So I felt like I had this, the, a lot of the skills to be successful in sales. So I figured, what's the best career I could start off with? I looked at, originally, I thought I'd be going, going to finance because I was uh, an econ major. And I studied a lot it, it being fine. I thought I'd be going to stocks. And then I said, hey, let's try commercial real estate. I did that for a couple of years. And this was all happening uh, around the time of the dot-com boom. So maybe some of your listeners aren't <laughs> we're, 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 we're too young to remember those days. But these were the days when uh, you would have companies like AOL going public and getting $100 billion valuations, the days when Yahoo was the leader online. And a lot of startups were being funded and the valuations were insane. And so I, when I was working in commercial real estate for about a year and a half, funny enough, one of my friends from College Works got into the dot-com area and he acted as a reference for me to come into a startup. And so it was really showing you the importance of building your network at a young age, because without that connection, I don't know if I would be where I am today. So that one decision. Who was it? Steve. Oh, Steve Jan did it? Yeah. Shout out to Steve. Is he still yeah. married to that wonderful, wonderful woman that he dated in high school? Yeah. Yes, yes. God, she was so cool. Well, shout out. What's her name again? <laughs> don't laugh. I don't remember her name, dude. I'm 51 years old. I've had a rough life. Jen. Jen, that's Jen. right. 
Yeah. Shout out to Stephen Jen yeah. for changing Andrew's life. Although yeah. you would have been wonderful at Grebin Ellis and commercial real estate sales is a wonderful career. You see, you have these goals. You want to conquer the world. You've got these skill sets that you figured out you had at college and developed a college at College Works. And you, you see the grass is greener. You got this friend, Steve, who everybody loves Steve. Everybody always loves Steve. And you're going to go work in that company uh, with him. He brings you in and you work together in the first company. Yeah, we did that for um, for maybe a year, year and a half, and then then of course the dot com blow up happened, and all these companies ran out of funding, and the company was on shaky ground, and eventually eventually it died. It, it was sold, but at a loss, so we didn't make any money there. But you know, luckily, I was able to literally get recruited by a little company called Google. And, and so Steve went one way and you went to Google. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into the Google and we get into that other stuff, I do want to flag one thing. Mike Perfant's one of my business partners. We have our commercial construction company together. Yeah. Uh, Mike Perfant, I think, slept on your couch back in the College Works days. Um, I slept on his couch, by the way. I helped him in the early days of him starting that business. Okay. 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 Then Steve was a manager the same time you were a manager and then a DM the same time you were a DM. I was his DM, both him and Mike. I was the DM. Oh, you were Mike Profan's DM? Yes. Wow. Okay. So you're there. I'm sleeping on your couch. You got Mike Profan and Steve. I was Adam's DM. You guys all became friends in this must have been like 1994, 95. <laughs> yeah, something like and, that. And well, I know it's around there. And because I graduated from college in 94. Yeah. Still friends to this day. Still helping out each other to this day, still a resource for each other to this day, still going skiing at least once a year to this day. You've developed this lifelong friendship that started off with you helping them, being their mentor, and then it turns around and they help you get into the tech world and change your life. That's a wonderful story. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you about those are the most important relationships I have outside of my personal family. With with those guys and Adam, you know, he was my DM and I was a DM for Mike and Steve. Adam was your DM because I was Adam's DM. Yeah, ah. he was my DM. So we actually the interesting thing and looking back on it now, if you think of like you know why these why men bond so much when they go to the military, it's having this kind of shared experience. Yeah, and the three of us have that shared experience from college works and you know all the ups and downs that come with running you know that summer, and we all became DMs over time and. Uh, and the friendships I have to this day, it's uh, and uh, just a great set of guys. But only one of you really suffered, and that was Adam, because he had to work with me. <laughs> and I bet you he still talks about how much he hated <laughs> I know he does. Mike tells me. Um, yeah. so, so let's go back in time a little bit. Where'd you grow up before you went to UCSB? Uh, so family's from Sacramento. So I'm in Northern California, always born and raised. Go Kings! You got to love the Sacramento Kings, the greatest basketball team in the world. <laughs> they had a few good years. <laughs> few good years. They're still having great years. Go Kings! We love the Sacramento Kings. They are on the edge of excellence at all times. So you grew up in Sacramento, and you must have done well in school. Were you trying to do well in school? Were you pushing with a goal in mind? You got your goals written down. You want to go to UCSB, or were you one of the ones that kind of you know just fell into it? I think like when I think about my high school and how I was, I was kind of more of an awkward kid. I'm definitely an introvert. So I know that about myself. I think in high school, I was, um, I was, I don't know what crowd you would say I was in, but yeah, I wasn't in the cool kids. I wasn't in the bad kids. It was somewhere in between, but it was a very normal high school life. And my grades, 
I think I was maybe slightly above average, but I wouldn't say I was in the top 10%. I just don't get that. You know, you don't get, I mean, I came from out of state, so it might've been a little bit harder to get into UCSB at the time. Now it's vice versa. It's easier from out of state than it is from in-state. But you must have been, a lot of times people are just naturally humble and they don't realize that, oh, actually I was pretty cool in, in high school. And actually I did pretty well. But you, you were in the top 10%, probably for sure. But you're not conscious of it. You're not trying. You kind of fall into Santa Barbara. And then you go to Santa Barbara, yeah. which was a prestigious school then, maybe a little bit more prestigious now due to population growth and not not many schools being built. And were you trying real hard to get ahead then? Why did you do the College Works thing? Was it just something you fell into or were you now leading a purpose-driven life? Yeah, so actually it's an interesting story. Uh, so I remember freshman year, I saw the, a class talk of someone coming in saying, hey, do this internship over the summer. And my father's a two-time entrepreneur. So I kind of grew up around seeing someone building and selling businesses successfully. And when I had the class talk and I went to you know the recruiting session for it and I interviewed with Spencer. And the funny part was in my freshman year, my, my father offered myself and my brothers a, a backpacking trip through Europe during the summer. And so- Bastard, bastard. Yeah, Don't exactly. do that to your kids, make them work. Yeah, exactly. So it was, you know, so Spencer, I, I remember this, I remember this day, this is like 22 years later, I remember Spencer saying, you'll never come back and do the internship if you go this summer to Europe. And I told him straight up, I said, oh, I will do it next year. He says, and he didn't believe me. So I had to come back and do it the following year just to spite him. Oh, you did. I did. You, you're the only one that ever did that. The rest of them just become backpackers and <laughs> never work at Google and never get millions of dollars given to them when they change jobs. And never fly around a private plane. They just are backpackers. So you're the only one. Right. Right. Probably. Okay. So you're in college. You do this entrepreneur college works thing because your dad was an entrepreneur and because Spencer told you you couldn't, but what were you, what was the purpose of doing college works? Just why, why would you do that? Money. <laughs> okay, so you're not looking, you're still not to the point where you're looking for the resume. You're looking for the experience. You're just day to day. I want some money. Uh, I think, I mean, it, obviously, the money was helpful, but for me, it was uh, having seen my father work so hard building businesses and be successful. For me, it was a sense of pride saying, I am going to do this, you know, also to show my dad that I can I can do this because I, I worked, you know, in his office doing, you know, the mailroom, all that from the age of 14. So it's always kind of ingrained in me that you've got to work hard to get to be successful in life and get ahead. So this was an opportunity for me to, you know, to take the bull by the horn, so to speak and uh, do something that uh, when I told my dad what, what the job entailed, what would I be doing for the summer? He said, awesome, go do it, right? And I wasn't going to disappoint him and I wasn't going to disappoint myself. Yeah, my, my parents were, you know what the number one uh, detractor of college works is? Is it the parents? Mothers. Oh, mothers? Yeah, and I see it. Like, Why are you working so hard? Don't do that. I'm so glad my, my parents would encourage me to do it, but I'm so glad they weren't there while I was doing it, watching me blood, sweat, and tears. at Suffer, yeah. And how different would we be if we hadn't have had such a difficult experience? I mean, your friend circle would be totally different. You didn't You didn't go to war. I, I don't want to um, belittle people that actually go to war, but this incredibly difficult experience that you had together that brought you together that you could relate to. You wouldn't have these same friends that are lifting you and pushing you. So you did the College Works thing. You come out of the College Works thing. You slide into commercial real estate because you figured that's where you get the most money, I assume. And then you're in commercial real estate and Steve says, hey, I bet you could make more money in this dot-com thing. And then the whole world blows up and 
for 20 years, you're working at Google. So what were you doing at Google? What skills did you need? Where'd you get those skills? So, um, so I worked at Google for roughly eight years uh, and I left for other roles, but, but it felt like 20 years. It did. Yeah. <laughs> this is my podcast. We don't correct the host. You just go with the 20 years. People are paying attention. They wouldn't okay. have heard that. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All good. But after 30 years at Google, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not that old. <laughs> that will bring you on. But uh, so when I got to Google, when I joined, there was no ad business. They didn't have ads. It was, it, we were making all of our money by licensing our search technology to Yahoo, which was the leading portal at the time. And uh, my role there when I first started was working on the enterprise business, selling our search services to, to you know, the Fortune 500 companies. That's what I was doing. And only after was Why they would, they would private label it or something? Why was exactly. it wasn't free Google back then? You paid a service fee to use Google search? Uh, it was for the internal usage of these companies. Okay. So if you have, you know, if you're like a big company with lots of documents, how do you find what you're looking for? So that was, we would sell software that would run inside of a network of a co company. And so I did that for a couple of years. And then the ad business took off, obviously, with the AdWords and everything else that Google's come out with. And I switched roles within Google to do uh, partnerships and distribution. And so one of the, the big accomplishments I had there was launching Google Chrome. So if you ever bought a PC and it had Google Chrome on it, it was probably because of a deal that I did at one point. Okay, so you're going to meet with the people at Dell. You're going to meet with the people at back then, Gateway. Yes. And you're having them put Google Chrome in instead of the Microsoft competitor. Correct. Which we don't mention their name. Is it Internet Explorer? <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, doing before. But I mean, I mean, the little interesting about business is, you know, it's it's because Google got those access points, those search access points, and the default search made them the leading provider of search and helped us beat, at the time, beat Microsoft and Yahoo. Okay, so you're over at Google. You've gone from selling paint jobs and hiring painters to now selling B2B. You're in, the, you're in with the big players, the computer makers. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. What skills did you need to be successful at the foundational start of Google and where did you get them? There's always always a little bit of, you know, fake it till you make it. Uh, and I, I do believe that you've got to, you have to go into these negotiations or new partnerships because a lot of stuff I was doing was first, it was first time, you know, things that we've done. It's not like there's standards and how these are done internally. So starting that, from that framework of, 
hey, how do we come in here and negotiate agreements, you know, create what the business partnership should look at, work with finance, uh, work with the product team and engineering team on how to build the correct offer, uh, how do we test it, and how do you build the commercials? I mean, these deals are worth hundreds of millions of dollars that I was negotiating. So fake it till you make it. You move from Google to AOL. If people don't know what AOL was, AOL um, was the it was the service you you would go to AOL to be able to go online, and you had to have a membership. What was it called back then? I forget the name of those services. A uh, copy service, the other one back then. But but what what was it called? Internet service providers. I mean, that's what they internet were. Ser- that was an internet service provider, and now. What is the internet service providers today? We just plug in our computer. Well, it's, it's Comcast. It's, it's you know, any of the it's cable, the cable companies, the phone companies yes. are sending you the, the internet. Back then, you actually had to go onto your computer and log on to this provider to get to the internet. And AOL was the big player. It was bought by Time Warner and then instantly became worth nothing and nobody knows what it is anymore. And you jumped ship and moved through some companies that people haven't, maybe haven't heard of before, ABG, uh, Cementech, Vonage we've heard of before, but don't really understand. And now you're the global head of partners product. So, Give us just kind of a hint on, you know, you always move up, you're moving over and up and over and up, collecting a big bundle of money every time you do. So when you're in tech business and you're getting um, stock options and you pick the right company like a Google that grows and the stock goes from, you know, $300 to $30,000 a share, whatever happened if you didn't take all the splits in there, you get paid. So you're getting paid each time, paid each time. So that's one part of it. But what does it mean to be the global head of partner products? What do you do and what skills should someone, if they're setting up their goal sheet in 10 years, I want Andrew's job, what skills and what experiences should they be having along the way? Besides college works, the most important. (laughs) Right, right. So I would say, I mean, the skill sets that I work with now are, are, you know, certainly sales is the foundation and having good communication skills. I think that's foundation for any job that you have and you can you can get that from you know from college works and grow from there i think it's learning how to be you know clear and concise with people uh it's it's how to manage the teams it's how do you re- recruit uh, and it's also your personality so like one of the things that i look at like in my own teams is uh, it's not when i do my annual reviews of my own team i always look at what you accomplished and then also how you accomplished it and that, those are both important and what i mean by the second one is Nobody wants to work for a brilliant jerk. Can you leave a company on good terms? Because I have, you know, had multiple jobs throughout my career. And and when you're at a company, would the team say that you're one of the best managers they've ever had? And one of the one of the metrics that I use for that is looking at the employee engagement survey results that we get every year from a company. And I've always been in the top 20% of the company, of, of all the companies I've been in. And I think that's a testament to really showing that you care about others and you care about their success. How do you gauge that in others when you're hiring? So ask for examples of how they handle difficult situations. So one of the things that I took from Google, and and people can literally Google this about Google, (laughs) is is, uh, structured interviews. So when you do structured interviews and behavioral interview questions, you can ask for scenarios and, and see how they would handle such scenarios. Such as, you know, how, how do you test for someone's management style, or what would uh, what would your employee say about you if we were to ask them if you were what kind of manager you are? 
So are they self-aware of how they act? And do they have some examples of things that maybe maybe uh, in, every, in every company, there's always a problem that happens. How do you handle it as a manager when one of your employees brings it to you? Well, I told them that they really sucked and I couldn't. And you hear that in interviews versus, yeah, I realized the problem started with me. I had a communication error. So I got the team together and apologized for, you know, misleading them. And we reset, we brainstormed. That's what you're looking for. 100%. And you can fake it, but Google also knows that you can fake it. So they put you through numerous interviews to see if you're faking it with numerous people and they compare notes and then they figure out who is the real Andrew. And I know the real Andrew. I know the real Andrew because I've known the real Andrew a long time. It's funny how the years get screwed up. I, I didn't know who was, who. I thought Mike was your DM. I get it all confused. I will never forget your couch though. I mean, who who has a couch that's missing a cushion and why the hell did I sleep on that couch two days a week for 50 <laughs> you know, I, That is funny. Because I don't even remember that you brought that up. That is pretty funny. You remember I used to sleep in your in your house when I'd come up to Santa Barbara. I'd stay at your house. Yeah, because my roommate was gone all the time. Yeah, he was on the golf team. Why didn't I sleep in your roommate's bed? I slept on a couch and I and it had no <laughs> middle cushion. Why am I? Why did, I don't remember that. Why didn't I, I don't remember move? That. Oh, I remember it. I wake up in the morning and back be hurting. <laughs> But so, um, you know, if, if we look at those skill sets that you just listed off and they seem, you know, oh, that's pretty obvious. Um, you know, I need to have communication skills. You said clear and concise, though. I want to highlight not just good at talking a lot, clear and concise. I need to be good at recruiting people. Yeah. Um, and you heard him talk about scenario recruiting, how he interviews. You can Google how Google interviews and um, management experience. Uh, you know, what's the personality like deep down inside, you know, you've always been the same guy. You've always been that caring guy. You've always been someone trying to help others get ahead. You've always been someone that's trying to help yourself get ahead. How important is the caring about others and the lifting others to your success in life? If someone's listening right now and they got the they got it on 1.5 speed and they're like, I don't give a shit about other people. Why why has it been important? And you mentioned you're in the top 20 of the bosses that um they like the most. Your how you do it is important as what you're doing. Why? Yeah. I, I tell you, it's um your net worth should be tied to your network. By the way, that, that comes up every 10 episodes. Somebody says that. Or you are some of your five closest friends. Exactly. Yeah. So your network is tied to your net worth. What is that? So who cares? Yeah. So so for me, uh, even the current role that I have, the reason why I got it is the person that was the hiring manager knew somebody I worked with in the past and reached out to that person and asked about me. Ah, so they're checking their references. And so first, first, Steve is like, hey, I know Andrew. Let's bring him in here because he'd worked for you and knew Andrew's a startup guy. So your, your, your network is your net worth and your reputation precedes you. 100%. Yeah. You do not want to leave any place that has you know bad blood or you don't treat people the right way, especially if like I work in Silicon Valley. It's It's small. Right. Someone's going to know somebody. Right. When you're connected with enough people on LinkedIn, someone can find out about you. And if you're if your reputation isn't perfect, then you're not going to get that next role. Why would they take the risk? So let's talk about jumping, jumping ship, because a lot of times people say, hey, you shouldn't have as many movements as you've had. You, you your resume shouldn't be two years here, three years there. You should see some long stints. 
So why are you jumping around so much? And how does this jumping around not hinder you? What advice do you have for someone in their 20s right now that's thinking about jumping ship? How do they make sure it doesn't look like a blemish on their record? Yeah. So and when I say I don't truly jump. I mean, I've been in some of these companies like Google and ABJ was there for five and seven years. So it's still some good amount of time. But 31 years I've been working at college. 31, 31 years. Right? years. Oh, geez. Yeah, that is a long haul. So five to seven years is, a, first of all, let's just say it, in the tech world, it's a long time in the tech world. It is. Yeah, I think, you know, I think most important is the story you can craft of your career. What's the reason why you're going from A to B and what's the rationale behind it? So when I, when I talk about people in my career, you know, as an example, people say, why would you leave Google to go to AOL? You're going to from a top tech company to go someplace that's dying. And the, the reason why I say I left, which is true, is I left because of Tim Armstrong. He was, the, he, he was the president of Google who left to go be the CEO there. And I'm a big believer in following the right people. And so he's a very, very strong leader. I knew if I followed him over to AOL, uh, the company would do well. And for my own career, I tell people, uh, I've been, I know what good looks like. I mean, going from Google from 350 to thousands and tens of thousands of employees, I've seen what hypergrowth looks like and what good looks like. But going to a, to a company that's failing and try to do a turnaround, that's, I said, this is a great way for me to learn. H how would you handle a company in that scenario? What's the difference? AOL was failing when uh, yeah. this person jumped over. I mean, so, what, so, so the whole point of when I joined AOL, I mean, it was known as the worst acquisition of all time, right? Time Warner bought it for $100 billion and spun it out for a couple of billion, right? I mean, they lost 97% like of what they, they bought it for. Um, so it's certainly one of the worst tech acquisitions of all time. And so going there with a new leader trying to turn it around, and this is turning around everything from the culture to the products to the sales. I've, I figured there's no better opportunity in my career to learn, like, what is it like to actually do a true turnaround? And that's why I went there. Okay. And then why did you leave? I actually got headhunted out. So it wasn't like I was trying to leave. I got headhunted out uh, to go to a company called ABG, which was a a small, uh, at the time, a small European company that was in antivirus software, mostly for consumers. But why would you leave AOL in the middle of this turnaround? Uh, so we, we did do this turnaround. We did, a, we did a spin out. And so we had shares. So I already, I, you know, was, <laughs> I wouldn't say cashed out, but I essentially cashed out uh, as part of the spin out as a publicly traded company again. And then when I got headhunted in for this next company, I got, you know, pre-IPO shares again. So they made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Pretty much. <laughs> and why do you get an offer you couldn't refuse if you're listening right now? Like, I love Andrew. I haven't talked to Andrew in a long, long, long time. I've been excited about talking to Andrew. What are we doing right now? We're kind of working and now we're not getting paid for it, uh, but this is kind of work we're trying to share with people. We have an objective in mind. We want you all to learn and grow. Like, yeah, I get to I even go tell Jill, guess who I'm talking to? I'm talking to Andrew. She hasn't seen Andrew for, I don't know, 20 years. It's been a long, long, long time. Yeah. So you you get grabbed because of what he's already said. He's paying attention to the wake behind him. He's paying attention to lifting people. He's paying attention to being in the top 20 bosses in every company he's in. He's paying attention to not just what he's doing, but how and why he's doing it. So you moved to a a ABG and what'd you do there? So ABG, I built out the whole freemium business model. So there they had a free product that were trying to monetize it online. So this was how do you convert users from free to paid and how do you build features, paid features that people are willing to pay for. So we were the largest consumer security product outside of China when I was there with over 150 million users globally. And taking that generating revenue enough that we could then go public. 
So you spin it out, you go through an IPO, another ching, another experience. Exactly. So you got the experience of growth, you got the experience of turnaround, you got the experience of IPO, and you leave there because someone gives you an offer you can't refuse? <laughs> well, partially. This one got acquired, so we ended up getting acquired. Uh, about two years after we went public. Okay. And and so as part of the acquisition, I cashed out <laughs> with the acquisition. And then uh, again, actually, Steve uh, was at Symantec and brought me into Symantec. Boom. Back to the relationship from when he was 20 years old. Yes. His couchless apartment that I didn't even know you had a roommate at. I just thought you had a two-bedroom apartment. I still don't know why I didn't sleep in the other room. Probably his roommate was gross. So you're maintaining your relationships. So how have you, what have you done to maintain your relationships with Adam, Steve, and Mike since you guys were 20 years old running a dumb painting company together? And now, by the way, Steve's got his own plan. What's, what's company does Steve work with? Um, well, he's actually private equity now. So he's, he's doing, he's doing with his own equity, equity. with his own equity, partially with his own equity for sure. Yeah. Yeah, He's he's, he's made so much money. He has a private equity firm and a plane. Um, Mike's, uh, we did a show with him doing great, has a plane. And uh, by the way, I don't measure things on wealth. I measure things on love, but people that listen like the plane stuff, Adam's crushing it. What did you guys do to kind of stay in the hunt with each other, stay close to each other? Even though you lived in different cities and different places, have you maintained that relationship that you developed going through the trenches at CollegeWorks together? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, what I look forward to every year is our annual ski trip, which we've been doing. Is there only one? Is it one ski trip a year? Well, so it started off as one, and it pretty much is. Officially, we have one a year, roughly around the same time, you know, February, March of every year. And, you know, we, we pick a different location somewhere in the U.S. every every year to go for like three, four days. Why why not Canada? I know. So I, oh, yeah, we've done Whistler. We've done Whistler. Revelstoke. Revelstoke. I know. You're right. We we on the lift. <laughs> oh, you guys aren't that good at skiing, though. So maybe Revelstoke's above your level. Oh, oh, I know you, you, guys, you guys are kind of blue black. You're not quite okay, at the Revelstoke well, level yet. So you're at Vail. You're at Park City. Yeah. So you do this trip. Keep going. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was great. That was as grown adults now, men, right, with children, that it was great to kind of all grow up together as almost brothers, right? And we talked about business and our different challenges, and we each had different perspectives. And so it's almost like, you know, partial therapy, like business therapy, these trips where we can talk about some challenges that we're facing within our um, careers and get feedback from people that really care about it. And uh, it's been super valuable to be able to do that every year and really enjoy those times. Yeah, because you are the sum of your five closest friends, which you already mentioned. Um, excellence is holistic. You know, are you happy? Do you have strong relationships? What's your purpose? You already mentioned that. So you have four like-minded people that are there lifting each other up, sharing experience. They got nothing to gain. There's not a there's not an interest, the end result they're looking for. It's just help the world out, lift the world up. Let's grow with each other. So you see value in each other's relationship. You're delivering value. You maintain the relationship. You go back and you find Steve again. Does he look exactly the same still too? <laughs> he doesn't look as good as me, but he's not bad. <laughs> uh, you know Steve J is better looking than you, and you know he always has been. And better looking than me. He's one good looking dude. Yeah, he does all right. Yeah. And then did he take off the Vonage too, or did you do that? No, I did that separate. Yeah. So he's still in the private equity space and he's doing sales for a cybersecurity firm now. Was Cement Tech in private equity? Uh, They were, but they got acquired. So uh, that company got acquired by Broadcom, which is a huge conglomerate. You know, it's a hundred billion plus company. 
that got acquired. Uh, but Steve went to a smaller company, private the, the private equity firm bought, and now he's running sales there. You know, Henry Samueli's in my YPO chapter. Ah. Not Nichols. He's a little bit crazy. Um, and then now, now you end up in the global head of, of partner product. What advice do you have for the 25-year-old in the car right now listening? Didn't do college works because they're in a state that doesn't have college works. They didn't even get the chance to do it. But they're working in um, you know, some tech business because they know they want to be in tech. And one day they want to have global head. What would be your, your, your number one advice for someone in their 20s on what they need to do to get to that level? Yeah. So if I were to start over, what I would recommend for someone coming out of school is number one thing you should do is pick the right company. That's more important. <laughs> so, are you supposed to do that with investing too? And I've never done that right. How the hell do you pick the right company? So, so let me tell you, yeah, I'll tell you how I did it. Cause I, I picked, uh, let me tell you how the, the rationale that I used. And so picking the right company means finding that obviously something that's high growth. And if you're, you know, if you're young and you don't understand the tech space yet, how do you know which company is good, which is bad? I would use venture capitalists as a proxy for what's good. So when I picked Google at the time, Google was, I mean, it was not clear Google was going to become what it is today, right? It was just, it was, it was making a, you know, a little bit of money, but it was nothing compared to Yahoo at the time. I went there because it had the two top venture capital firms, Sequoia Capital and Kleiner Perkins, were investors in it. And I figured those investors and the people that were on the board were smart enough to know which company is the right one. So that's why that's why I was excited to go there. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So you're using indicators. Any other indicators besides where the venture capitalists are putting their money? That's a kind of an easy sign. And venture capitalists make mistakes, but the two top ones don't usually combine to make a mistake. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So the other thing I would say you can do is, not, they didn't have it when I was uh, starting off, but they do now. All these venture capital firms have their own internal recruiting firms inside the venture capital firms that, ha that help hire for their portfolio companies. So what I would do is I would contact that recruiter. You can find them on LinkedIn from the top, say, five or 10 VC firms and ask them, what are their most successful portfolio companies? Because even, you know, this the Pareto principle, right? There's the top 20 firms and the rest of the 80% are, are all going to end up not doing that well. So you want to make sure you go to the top 20% in the portfolio of the top VCs. And the recruiter will tell you like, hey, this company's like growing like crazy. This one's doing really well. And even if you get an entry-level job, it doesn't matter, right? It's not going to the right company. That's, that's the first thing. So I'd start there. The second is, if, 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 if the second I would say is pick the right manager. So the extent you can get an interview at one of those companies, can you go work for somebody that's going to help you grow? That's the second thing I would look at. Not you, not the department, no, but the right the person. So it may be HR, it may be sales, it may be facilities management. Pick the right manager. Doesn't matter. Get in right. So a great quote from our old CEO from Google was, "If you find a rocket ship, you just grab any seat you can get and hold on." And so when you see these companies like a Google or a Facebook, and I had a lot of colleagues that went to Facebook or went to Airbnb, these great companies, uh, it doesn't matter where you started because the growth of these companies is so great. And if you execute, they're going to do well and you're going to grow in there. So you're going from facilities management to finance because you... Because you're... It, exactly. It so it's a, the third, the, I mean, the, the least important of the three is picking the right role in those firms. It, the more important is getting in. And, and, and once you, whatever role you get, just execute really well. Be awesome in that role and be open to new opportunities within the company.
because any company that's growing that fast, you know, a couple hundred percent a year, there's going to be things that opportunities that pop up and just make sure you have your, your name in the hat to be picked. So pick the right company and you gave us techniques, how pick the right manager, grab any seat and then slide into the right role by crushing whatever role you already have. Yes. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay, that's good advice. I hope people stayed on to the very end for that. I got one more question for you Then I'm going to let you get back to, I don't know, what what do you do? Go out in the backyard, rake the money <laughs> or oh, you behind the wall, you got the stacks that the kids are going through. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're doing after this on a Friday, but looking back at your long life and besides buying a new couch and saving my back, what sacrifice did you make way back in time that felt like a sacrifice at the time? And you look back and you're like, my God, I'm glad I did that. I would do that all. You would tell your younger self to do all over again. Yeah. Well, I I think all the choices you make in life, especially that relates to your career is the trade-offs you have to make for those. And uh, I I would say when you're early in your career, just starting up, you can be selfish. You can you can focus on working really hard and be focused on your career and uh, getting ahead, putting the hours in, taking the risks that you may not take as you get older and get married with children. So for me, taking those early risks, going to the dot com, and them failing, was a great lesson, even as painful as it was. Being you know at twenty three, my company just blew up. You know what do I do? And it was fortunate enough that I was able to get into a, a company like a Google. But I would say take those risks while you're young and, and you can you can bounce back from them. So I don't regret taking those risks then. So if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. You're glad that you took a risk. It didn't work out, but it caused other things to work out. Exactly. Wow. All right. Well, Ava, if you're listening, you and I have to have a meeting. I'm going to help you get into college. But we know Ava's not going to listen to this because our kids never listen to our own episodes. Um, Andrew, other people will listen to it. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I really appreciate you sharing your path and all this wisdom for those other people that want to get into tech, crush it, be part of the next Google. Thank you for making time for the Edge of Excellence. Thanks, Matt. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.